So today's sermon from Ruth chapter 3 verse 111 is the risk of the pursuit of marriage. Okay? Um, it is risky, yes, to ask someone to court with them, yes? Uh, it is, uh, if you guys think back, for some, if you're married, right, for those that are not, it's facing forward still, it is risky, yes, to ask. You don't know if you'll be rejected, uh, what's the outcome, if you made the right choice, all of that, okay? Uh, in light of all this, today we're going to see, I know in the past I've also taught in courtship, and we taught on what is a biblical template, but I also want to look at the story because this is a story, as we look at this, this is, I think, a beautiful story. Uh, Ruth is a beautiful love story, but yet at the same time as beautiful as it is, it is not necessarily what we think of an ideal, because you see that there are people of different ethnicity, yes? I would even say there's even perhaps an age gap between Boaz and who? Ruth. Because Boaz could say to her, my daughter. There's also a different social economic level, yes? One was a, really a widow, or a widow. Uh, one was pretty affluent enough to own property and all of that, okay? You see all of this in this situation, yet you see there's a risk of the pursuit of marriage. But today, uh, we're going to see uh, three imperatives when it comes to pursuit of marriage, so that we will pursue courtship wisely and biblically, okay? Today's three points we're going to look at, and the other ones we will look at uh, the next few weeks through the book of Ruth slowly, is these are the three points for today. If you're taking notes, these are three imperatives. Number one, beware the risk of foolishness. This is in verses 1 through 4, okay? So if you're looking at Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, it establishes our first point in terms of the risk of pursuit of mar- uh, marriage. You need to beware the risk of what? Foolishness, okay? Uh, being frank, could people make foolish decisions in how they go about courtship? Yes, okay. We're going to see this in verses 1 to 4. Second point is beware the risk of rejection, okay? Beware of the risk of rejection. The risk of rejection is very real, verses 5 to 9. By the way, sometimes when we read Ruth, we already know the ending, right? We can see it as a Cinderella story. But to live it out when you don't know the future, I want to make the point that what Ruth pursued is we need to see, even for us as application, beware the risk of rejection. That's a very real risk. That should also make all of us brothers and sisters be much more sensitive with our brothers and sisters that are going through courtship. Uh, beware the risk of rejection. This is verses 5 to 9. And finally, just for today, next week we'll look at the other points. Um, is also interpret the other person graciously. I see this taught in verses 10 to 11. Okay? Uh, interpret the other person graciously. Because as we look at the scenario, we're going to see the story is could ter- look really shady real quick, okay? We're going to be looking at this, okay? By the way, in looking at this, remember this is a narrative, okay? That doesn't mean every single thing that every a person do in the story, it is a what right or wise thing to do, okay? In fact, we're going to see this is, I even think, in the beginning, it, the first few verses, it actually was not very wise what has been given as counsel from Naomi to Ruth, okay? But we're also going to see, yet despite all this, God's grace is also still working. And also we could still learn uh, from here, there are principles even with the pursuit of courtship and marriage as we see next week on. But I want to talk about these three points first because I think this is foundational for everything else, okay? Next week we'll look at, for instance, we need to bless the other person, we need to comfort the other person, we need to be aware there's obstacle in the pursuit of marriage, but all of this first began with realizing even the beginning step of pursuit of courtship, step of pursuing marriage, 
is there's incredible risk. So we want to talk about the risk involved, okay? So let's look at point number uh, one, okay? Uh, actually, uh, uh, actually, for background first, uh, Roof Chapter 3 is several weeks after the event in Roof Chapter 2, okay? It's several weeks after the event in Chapter uh, 2. I need to cross this out. I wrote the wrong chapter, okay? Uh, is uh, is several weeks after Chapter 2 because if you remember Roof Chapter 2, we saw the last time we saw this uh, in Roof, we saw that Roof was a widow, okay? She went to look for uh, land for food. And she stumbled upon the field of who? Boaz. Now, was Boaz gracious to her? Yeah, remember how we considered that there was even some dark forces. That if we read this canonically, that is interpreting in light of the previous book, the book of Judges, we saw that this was a very dark time where women were being raped. Okay? The idea of a woman, Bethlehem, should echo us, Judges 19. Okay? There's all these difficult things going on. And yet, there's that weird part, do you remember, where the servant, where... Uh, Boaz asked her, his servant, hey, who is this woman? Who does she belong to? And he was like stumbling. He's saying all these contradictions. And yet she's inside a shelter, someone's room. And I asked the question to all the women here. If you were to go to the field asking for food, if there's a man who just told you, oh, wait inside my building, how many of you guys would go there? That sounds really shady, okay? And remember the whole thing that's going on at this time of Judges. This is a time period where women were being, you know, hurt in all these uh, ways, okay? If they had face, if they had Twitter back then, they will be hashtagging me too, okay? All, all these things. This is the problem. I'm, I'm just being real. This is a real dark time period, right? People are dying also as well, being murdered. Women with that, being taken advantage. And yet we saw it any graciously. But now it's several weeks later. We know this because this is several weeks later. Now they're winnowing, okay? Winnowing is an act where they have all these things. They're, they have, if you remember, they gather all these uh, barley. And barley is, is stuck with a lot of, what, dirt, and rocks, and now they're what they're doing is they're threshing floor. They'll grab it with a fork, lifting it up, throwing it in the air, and a light breeze will blow it. So that way, the dust will be blown away, and on the hard, on the uh, smoother floor, they will pick up what? They'll pick up the uh, actual seed. Okay, think about it more like a sunflower seed, right? Uh, or or like certain things that chaff. You do this, what happens? The wind blows away, and falling down to the ground is what? The actual seed that you want to what? Eat. So that's what they're doing right now. So several weeks later, okay. And look at this. Uh, before earlier, the concern was whether or not Ruth and Naomi, Naomi being the mother-in-law of Ruth, whether or not they would even survive with food, right? Because they would. But now that they have food, remember we mentioned about she was carrying back a lot of food, right? Like sixty pounds of food. This is how gracious this man was, giving sixty pounds of food. Now the concern was no longer whether or not they would be able to eat and survive, but now Naomi, the mother-in-law, is concerned with what? Whether or not she would be able to find someone to what? Mary, okay? Uh, some of you guys could think about, wow, you know, when we're a certain age, our parents start, right, right, like uh, before high school, our parents are always say, do not what? Have a, what? Talk to me. Yeah, do not have a boyfriend, girlfriend, right? It's about school. But as soon as you graduate or you're about to graduate college, like, hey, how come you haven't found anyone? You're like, what? What happened, right? They just went from, you know, zero to hero so fast, okay? So we see here, this is the mother-in-law, okay? Uh, and we see point number one is beware the risk of foolishness. Because when we look at verses one to four, Naomi has a plan. Naomi is now thinking about, oh, I want my daughter to be married, Okay, uh, so basically here, but I also want to see here that we need to be beware of the risk of foolishness. And I would actually say if you look verses 1 to 4 very, very carefully looking at the Hebrew words and the meanings of it, 
you would see that her plan is very, very foolish. Please do not look at Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 to 4 and say, Jimmy, I don't need boundaries, okay? You are supreme for boundaries, but look at them. They don't have boundaries. They go see each other in the middle of the night and they hang up. Like, please, okay? This is not what I'm saying. Because if you pay attention, I think there's a thing, a literary device. You look at the words. That you should read it. If you know the rest of your scripture and the words, you'll be like, whoa, uh, uh, this looks really shady. Alert, alert, alert. And then you see, yet God, Boaz character, he responds what? In his very awkward situation, he responds very graciously. He, advanced, uh, he uh, responds purely, holy, in a, a way that's godly, but also in a way that protects the dignity of both Ruth and the mother-in-law. So let's look at the point number one. Beware the risk of foolishness. Naomi has a daring plan, she tells Ruth in this section. And in verses 1 to 4, you could break his, her speeches into three parts, okay? Uh, I think it's important to look at these three parts because I want to look at this because even though I think we see Naomi's plan is going to be foolish, I also don't think you could say uh, Naomi is totally evil, okay? I think she's one of the instances where she had good intentions, but what? A bad means to get to the goal of having the daughter being married. Breaking this down, we could then ask in each three parts, we ask a question. In three, each three parts, to say, is this wise and is this godly, Okay. Uh, just to break it down a little bit more. So these are the three sections. The second half of verses 1 to 2 is Naomi reflects on her current situation. She reflects on the situation of the status on what? Of, of, of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, okay? Then the second session, uh, section is Naomi plan to resolve the current situation. She's going to say, okay, in light of our present situation, it's not ideal for you. You're not married. Here's my plan. Okay, this is in verses 3. To verses 4. Uh, to verses 4. The first half of verse 4. Then Naomi's hope for the outcome is described in verses 4, uh, the second half. Okay, So let's look at each part. We're going to look at the first part and the third part of the speech first and say, is this godly? And then the second middle part, which I think is going to be the focus of point number, uh, point number 1 today. So the first part, like I said, is Naomi is right, uh, is reflecting about her current situation. And in this situation, she actually is assessing her situation correctly. Which is incredible, because remember how we talked about earlier? Naomi, when she first went back from Moab, where they used to be at, and then now they're going back. Did she have a right assessment of her situation? Remember? She went, she saw her town people, her town people said, Hey, you are, you are Naomi. You came back. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitterness, which is what Mara means. And because I have nobody anymore. In that situation, did she assess her situation accurately? Think about this for a moment. She has, what, a daughter-in-law with her. Walking with her 60 miles through very difficult terrains, and now is back in her hometown. And she said, nobody helps me, this is so terrible, right? I have nobody in my life. And here is this what? Daughter-in-law. In that situation, did she interpret the situation correctly? Yes or no? No, right? She did not. But now if you look here, she's interpreting the situation what? Properly, yes? Because she's aware of the difficult situation her daughter-in-law is in, okay? She's aware of that. She speaks about that. And here she's correct, okay? She also says, hey, I'm your uh, uh, mother-in-law. We are concerned about your future. Should you not find a man? Should you not, uh, as it says in verses uh, 1, that it may not be well for you, seeking secure. The word well here has the idea of what? In Hebrew, other usage of the well life, often the idea of being married with kids, right? With a security of uh, things being provided, okay? She's right in reflecting the difficult reality of the situation she's in. So that she's right with that, okay? You can't fault her. Let's look at the last part, the third section, which is the, her desire 
of the outcome. What is her outcome she desired? In verses uh, uh, 4. In verses 4, she says uh, what she wants is uh, really uh, that uh, Boaz will what? Marry her daughter-in-law, okay? When she says, hey, he will tell you what to do, okay? By the way, she's taking a lot of risk here, okay? Uh, if you think about it, she's taking a lot of risk. She's assuming this man will what? Marry his, her daughter-in-law, okay? But then, so these things are noble. It is good for her to say, yeah, you look at Boaz and say, okay, this guy is what? Uh, he's someone that you would allow to court your daughter or daughter-in-law, okay? If she's widowed, okay? Uh, you would say that's a good thing, okay? But here, what it gets really tricky is that sometimes we could have the right desire to marry someone godly. We could have even the right aim, okay? But yet we could have the wrong means of going about it. True or not? Talk to me, yes? This happens a lot of times in life. And sometimes we think, okay, because we have a right goal, therefore that means the end is justified, the means is justified by the ends. But that's not the case. In fact, what her plan is, I would actually say, if you were to say, is it wise or foolish? I would actually say it's probably not wise, okay? So let's look at the details of her plan. She first and foremost uh, takes it uh, with her plan. And by the way, she's not always been the person with the best plan. Remember earlier, Ruth asked her, hey, I'm going to go look for food. Did she go with her? Daughter? No. Is that really wise? In a day, you know, of a younger woman being sent out in the field and everything else while the country? No, right? So you see that not, not everything she says is necessarily wise. By the way, remember, she originally had two daughters-in-law. And she told them, hey, go back to your gods. Is that, is that a right advice? Is there? No, right? To go back to pagan gods? No. So we see in every chapter, if, you, if we could be honest, Naomi, in every chapter, chapter 1, 2, and 3, you could point out to something she says that is, what? Crazy, Okay. So here she does it again. This time she's, this is her, this is really what? A desperate housewife mother-in-law with a crazy plan, okay? This is what's going on here, okay? Her plan is this. Uh, if we look more carefully, if she says, verses 3, Wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go to the threshing floor. But do not make known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking, okay? This verse gets really, really shady, really quick, okay? Uh, it actually, I don't think she means anything ungodly, uh, my interpretation has changed. I know in other times I've taught this in Lighthouse in reference. I said that this is, uh, but I think it's, it's, she's not saying to do something immoral. But everything she says, the word is so loaded that it could be interpreted wrongly, okay? First and foremost, uh, notice in verses 3, there's three verbs, okay? All three verbs has innuendos with it. Verses 3, wash yourself. Uh, in terms of washing, it's often um, when it doesn't say wash your hands, when it doesn't say wash your uh, feet, when it just says wash, it often refers to washing your whole body, okay? Washing your whole body. Now, remember, we have to remember in the context today, we could shower every day, okay? More than one time a day because it's hot in, uh, in September, right? But back then, showering was sometimes a luxury. Even, even when you think about English royalty, if you know English history royalty, do they shower the, the queen, Elizabeth I? Did she shower every day? No, the most is she washes her hands and pinkies, right? Because they dance with their fingers or whatever else and eat their food. So sometimes they only bathe once a year for a special occasion. When you, when you put it in that perspective of just historically of time, we are so privileged, right? We could shower, what, every day, right? But so shower was often the idea of what? You're going to be meeting a man, you're married, okay? Weddings, or you're going to be intimate, okay? We'll keep it rated G for what? Godliness, okay? Here we see in all of this, when she says this, it would have been like, oh, in a hard day, we'll try. He'll be like, Shower, wait, what is going on here? What is going on here, okay? Your trigger should be going off like crazy. It's like, oh, right, right? It's like red alert, red alert here, okay? Verses 3, notice the second verb, anoint. 
Anoint is pouring oil. Oftentimes, it's also to be translated uh, being a perfume, okay, also as well, okay. Uh, by the way, there, there is this verb used in Exodus, uh, Ezekiel 22, okay. In Ezekiel 22, there's a connotation. All these verbs are referenced there, but it's the context of what? A, a wife, the imagery, the analogy is a wife meeting her husband uh, on marriage, okay. So let's look also as well, anoint, and then it says what? Put on your, what kind of clothes? Best clothes, okay. This is dressed to impress, okay? Dressed to impress here, so to speak, okay? Then it says, go to the threshing floor and make yourself known to the man until he's finished. But then look at verses 4. It shall be when he lies down. By the way, the word lies down is also loaded, okay? Kind of like how the English word for euphemism, saying when someone's sleeping around, what do we mean? That, oh, they're laying down just sleeping until the alarm goes off? Or does it have a euphemism for, okay? By the way, it's a euphemism of not even, uh, lying down is often a euphemism for not husband and wife but an illegitimate activity, okay? It's, for instance, tied with things, with, with bestiality, okay? With homosexuality, with uh, adultery also as well, okay? So the verbs used here is with that shading here. When he says, it could be innocence, oh, just laying down, what are you talking about? Or, wait, wait a minute, whoa, this is, what are you talking about? I think in light of all these verbs, the connotation, this gets pretty, just because of the accumulation of the verbs that are questionable, it gets really unwise quickly, okay? Other part, also as well, uncover, okay? Uncover. It says, uncover his feet. Look, turn with me real quick to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 11. I want to look at the verb uncover. It's sometimes used also as well with an innuendo, okay? And refer to really uncovering bits and parts you should not see, right? Okay? Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 20, verses 11. By the way, why am I looking at this? It's not because I'm being weird or shady or being one of those English lit teachers that sees sex and everything, okay? That's not what I'm trying to do. But I'm trying to say that there's accumulation when you look at all of this. When you read this as a Jew, you'll be like, wait a minute, I know God's law. Why is she saying all these verbs? Like, ew, what is she trying to do, okay? Uh, turn with me, Leviticus chapter 20. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20, uh, verses 11. Could I have a happy, motivated reader read that out loud? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> if a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be. Yeah. This is saying the inappropriate acts of seeing certain things, right? A, a weird kind of voyeurism. And saying, hey, this is ungodly. This is wicked. Would you catch the word uncover? Same Hebrew verb used there, okay? By the way, the word feet is also a euphemism for a man. Part, okay? Uh, by the way, urine is sometimes called in Hebrew. Uh, urine uh, is often, is sometimes also used to say it is what? Water from the feet. Okay? Water from the feet. You see this in 2 Kings 18.27. Okay? So in light of this, you might be saying, okay, look at all, let's look at the combination of this. Here is a widow saying to her younger daughter-in-law, who is also a widow, Hey, go at what time period? What time of the day? At night. Shady alert, right? Number one. Number two, go over there, lie down next to him. It's like, wait, wait a minute. Shady word number two, okay? Shady word number three, uncover his what? Feet, okay? Shady word number four. There's a shady word number four also as well, okay? Uh, uh, lie, uh, or, or not lie. Um, also, the word uh, feet, right? And shady word number five. 
Where was this taking place at? Threshing floor, okay? Threshing floor. Back then, uh, in order to, like I said, when you get crop, you hit off, uh, you get the uh, fork, you would uh, get it out, right? They would do this often at night because the wind and the breeze is more controllable, okay? And by the way, during the day, they're so busy gathering all of it. So then at night, that's what they would do. But when they do that at night, they'll often do it away from the town, okay? They'll do it away from the town. Uh, because it's kind of near where they do the thing, and they want it a li like a little hill or a little a bit of mound dirt that's a little elevated. And it's often because there's not a lot of this, they would often do it where it's a community area where everyone else is there, okay? And when they do it at night, after they do it, after certain hours, they would what? Go to sleep next to what? Their heap of barley. To what? To guard it and to protect it. So they would do this, okay? At night. But unfortunately, as sinful human nature is this. During this time, I think the best way to picture these places is picturing where truck bus stop is, okay? You know, there's all these men working. They're away from their wives, away from their kids, away from their families. Are there going to be people out there that are out there to make money in a sinful way to sell their bodies? Is there a possibility? Yeah. It's dark. There's other people there. You're, everyone's guarding their own thing. So oftentimes, there will be prostitutes going to these locations to solicit for men for certain activities that are ungodly. So if I could put it in this way, in light of all this thing, what she's saying is really, do you think this is a really wise advice of the mother-in-law? Now, she had good intentions. She wants her daughter to be married. But what she's saying, hey, dress your best, go out there, and, and, and go in the middle of the night and approach, it is pretty what? Unwise, okay? In fact, I would even say it is downright dangerous, okay? It is downright dangerous, okay? So in light of these descriptions, I would say, when we consider courtship, rather than say, hey, Jimmy, I don't need no boundaries. You're wrong. You're always talking about boundaries. What's wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. You're a legalist. Right now, this and say, using this verse, when you look at the connotation of all the words here, you should be triggered, okay? By the way, Mo uh, Ruth was from what nation? Moab. Moab, okay? Do you guys, know, uh, you guys know the story of how Moab was born? Was it born out of sin? Yeah. It's born from Lot, incest with who? Her, his daughters, okay? This is found in Genesis, okay? Uh, it's born out of incest with his daughter, where he was drunk, and guess what happened? The daughters decided to take advantage of him. So, with that connotation, with that as background, for a Jewish reader to read this and say, uh-oh, oh no, here we go again. History repeats itself, right? Here is someone from the line of Lot, again, acting wickedly and sinfully. Going in the middle of the night, when the guy is eating and going to sleep and perhaps drinking a little bit, uh, just happy from the day of labor. And now here's another situation where someone's being taken advantage of. Okay? But we're going to see in the story that God redeems Gentiles. Okay? Even someone from Moab. Remember earlier this morning we read from Scripture reading Psalms 108 that even Moab will be called cursed. But yet that's not the end of God's story. God shows grace even towards the Gentiles, okay? So point number one, when we see the application here, uh, the first point, as we saw in establishing, beware the risk of foolishness. I would say, for us, even when we consider courtship, please consider wisdom, okay? Please be wise in how you court. Please be wise, and just, just because you have a good intention, a good desire for a good outcome, that would you say, oh, the outcome is this? Say, yeah, that is biblical and godly. That does not mean the ends justify the means, okay? Be very careful, okay, the situation you would put yourself in, okay? So the first thing is we need to be aware of courtship is beware the risk of foolishness. But the text also emphasized that the mother-in-law generally means well, okay? In fact, in all of this, I think you see even the narrator is very gracious, 
uh, with that. Even Boaz will be gracious. Even the daughter, okay, is gracious. Um, so we see, let's go on to the next part. Beware the risk of rejection. Beware the risk of rejection. The first point was beware the foolishness when it comes to courtship. But we also need to beware of rejection, okay? By the way, as application, the r- risk of foolishness, I think one thing to mitigate risk, relationship will always be risky, okay? Relationship will always be risky. And yet God has called men to take that risk, to pursue that. And sisters as well, too. But if I could say one thing, involve others to evaluate what you're saying, your plan, and everything else, Okay? So let's go to point number two. Beware the risk of rejection. This is in verses 5 to 9. Let me read again verse 5 and 9. She said to her, All that you say I will do. So she went down, uh, down, uh, uh, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all their mother-in-law commanded her. When Boaz has eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the edge of the heap. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and laid down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a man was lying at his, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. In looking at verses 5 to 9, you see that Ruth, she does carry out what Naomi planned. She is a good daughter-in-law. Now, let me say this again. In being a good daughter, at the same time, does not take away, this is a very foolish plan on the part of who? The mother-in-law, okay? Ruth's response in verse 5 is rather brief. It consists of just four Hebrew words. Because there's no point to repeat it. It just says, she just did as it is. Ruth's action in verse 6 is also brief. It's just a summary fashion of what her action was, okay? So, Ruth is, uh, you see here, in what she does is... um, when, when she gets there, you see her action um, is pretty interesting, right? She does everything to the T, okay? Everything to the T that her mother-in-law told her to do, except for one thing that's different. Remember how her mother-in-law just told her, hey, go over there, lie down, and just wait for him to tell you what to do. When he is startled, when this man is startled, remember when, when you might say, oh, why is Boaz scared in the middle of the night? Remember the connotation. Right? In the middle of the night, some woman wake you up, you're like, ah, what is going on? Okay, uh, this woman, what does she want? And everything else, okay? So with that connotation, this is a righteous man, a godly man, he would be rightly startled, among many reasons. It's the middle of the night and everything else, okay? Um, by the way, she recognized her form enough that it is a woman, because when he, in verses 9, he says in Hebrew, who are you? It's actually a feminine who, instead of a masculine who. The one thing that Ruth does differently than what Naomi says is Naomi says, hey, just wait for her to, uh, him to talk to you. Uh, he just, she just right away says, I'm Ruth. She answers the question, who are you? I am Ruth, your maid. But notice she doesn't stop there. She tells him what? What to do. Okay? This is still a, quite a patriarchal society. She is not only a woman telling a man what to do, she's also what? A maidservant. Do you catch that in verses 9? After she says she's Ruth, what does she say? She is a maid. She actually uses a different word than in Ruth 2.13. If you remember a few weeks ago when we looked at Ruth 2.13, we said Ruth uh, uses the lowest of the lowest of servants. There's different servants. But here she uses another term, a more generic term of being a servant. I think the reason why is because she wants this man to marry him. So she's not going to say, I'm that low, so that she doesn't want. 
But she's definitely realized the risk is why I think she just says generic term servant here. Okay? Is there incredible risk going on here? Yeah. For a woman back then to say directly to man, marry me, that's pretty direct. But you might say, if some of you guys are very careful and looking at the Bible, you might say, hey, Jimmy, he doesn't say marry me. You're right. She doesn't say it directly. She doesn't say it directly. She uses a metaphor. The metaphor is in verses 9. After she says, I am Ruth, your maid, she said, so spread. By the way, that's a command. She's saying, hey, do this, okay? Spread your covering. Does all your version in verse 9 say spread your covering? Or some of your versions say something else? Does any of your versions say wings? Okay, it does? What version? Uh, uh, ESV. ESV, okay, wow. This is one of those times where, okay, ESV, uh, I, I like that translation. They might NASB. Even though NASB is often literal. Because the word literally there is spread your wings. Have we seen spread your wings anywhere earlier in the story of the book of Ruth? Talk to me. Yeah, Ruth chapter 2. Do you remember when Boaz blesses her, Ruth, by giving her food and taking care of her and saying, stay in my field, uh, you can drink my water and all these other things. And she says, why are you so kind to me? I'm not even worthy to be your servant of the lowest form. And he says what? You have trusted in God's way. To spread your wing, his wings over you. You remember that? Now, roof is what poetically using the same phrase. The word wing could use for different things. Animal, wings, right? Or sometimes it refers to like the end of a clothes, right? Um, uh, of a garment where it's, you know, the fizzle part, okay? So here, she's saying, spread your cloak around me. Well, but yet with the, uh, uh, it's a play on words of what he used earlier. In other words, what she's trying to invite him to do is saying, you say... God will bless me, but you are God's answered prayer. Already before, when you said God's wing is uh, over me, you're the one who physically have done that. You're the one that fulfilled God's, God's using you to be the Lord's wing over me. But the word wing here, spread wings, also has connotation. Also, I, uh, uh, it's affiliated also as well with marriage, okay? Turn with me to Deuteronomy. 22 verse 30. We're looking at here to show there's a connotation with marriage also as well, okay? Deuteronomy 22 verse 30. I mean, this is, this is a beautiful love story, okay? I know I said earlier it's not fully ideal. It's an older man with a younger woman. It's different ethnicity, different social economic class. But yet, in some ways, this is what? Cinderella before there was Cinderella, okay? Here, if you look at this, in Deuteronomy, I mean, just a beautiful play on words here, okay? Deuteronomy 22, verses 30, okay? If someone is there, could you be a happy, motivated reader to read me? Deuteronomy 22, verse 30. Oh, actually, uh, maybe not this verse. Turn, actually, turn with me, maybe a better one is, um, uh, turn with me, actually, to Ezekiel 16, 8. Maybe this is a better one. Uh, Ezekiel 16, 8. Ezekiel 16.8. I'll just read this for the sake of time. Then I passed over you and saw you, and behold, you were at this time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness, and I swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you become mine, declares the Lord. What's going on here is the Lord is using a metaphor of Israel being unfaithful, being in a desperate situation, and yet God shows His love like a husband to a woman that is looking for love, even though she's in a desperate situation. 
But here he uses this analogy, this term of covering your cloak. We know this is a reference not just to physically do this, because it's talking about marriage, because notice the word covenant is mentioned. Okay? The first covenant we see in Scripture is what? Marriage between Adam and Eve, and yes, God is involved with that. But here we see that term, so when she says that, there's a beautiful play on words. She's saying, yes, remember you use that word to say God's kindness, but also you are the one that shows us, but could you go all the way and also marry me? She's not super direct, but she's giving enough of this. And she gives the reason why. is because what? You are a close relative. Okay? You are a close relative. In fact, if you look carefully here, there's different words here. Redeemer, as we mentioned last time, is a word that what? Refer to someone that marries someone that dies and didn't have any kids. Okay? And it's a relative that marries so that they will be able to have kids. And in that age, there's no social security. That marriage with that kid would then take care of what? The woman who's widow, okay? But she doesn't use that term either. She just says relative, a more generic term, okay? I think there's a sense she's asking. She's quite direct. She's quite direct Say, hey, cover your wings over me. But yet also as well, she backs off in a way that's gentle. She doesn't say marry me. She uses metaphor. And she calls her relative, him relative, but not necessarily the redeemer, the one that will redeem him, okay? By the way, is this a big risk, what she has done? Yes, right? Okay. Asking my, do- uh, my wife to marry me was a really, what, nervous thing. Yes? Okay. Going to my father-in-law, sitting down uh, at, uh, you know, grabbing food. Is that nervous? Do you think I prayed? Yes. Okay. Uh, it almost is like, man, there's a ring, but there's a ring of suffering, right? Or, or what's that, okay? There, there, there's, there's a danger, not really, okay? But you get the idea, there is the danger, okay? There's a risk, okay? There's a possibility of the answer is what? No, okay? But this here is a very risky plan that Naomi concocted, right? There's three possible response from Boaz, okay? And based upon his interpretation of her. By the way, this situation, I know like... The mother-in-law, I think she's now tunnel vision, okay? She says, put on your best clothes, anoint yourself, smell good. But then I think that also, there's also a bad situation where some of these people approaching the middle of the night and treadmill, yes, they're trying to dress their best, maybe less, okay, with, with, with their dress. But still what? Also smelling good. And yet, this is a, and she's saying, go over there. Yeah, go in the, this is a good idea. But think about this, think about the possible interpretation Boaz could have had. Boaz could have interpreted Ruth's action as an invitation for what kind of act? An appropriate act. Because this is what other kind of women going out in the middle of the night do, okay? So if she, he interpret that way, guess what happened? If he was less of a godlier man, he could have taken advantage of her sexually. And therefore, this ended in a very bad situation. Not in marriage, but now with her daughter, Naomi's daughter-in-law being taken advantage of, okay? And yet there's no marriage, in this, okay? So you see, this is one bad interpretation that leads to one bad outcome. Or another possible interpretation Boaz could have had was she could have interpreted Ruth as a prostitute and says, oh, I'm godly. Man, I'm going to reject you. Wow, I did not know that you were this kind of woman. And therefore, ended up, she does not even get married also as well. Then on top of that is now a misinterpretation of who she is as a character. And, and then, of course, not even understanding the full context. This is her mother-in-law telling her do this. And it's her love for her mother-in-law is why she goes out to do this, okay? And then there's the final outcome. A third possible outcome is Boaz could have interpreted this is that Ruth had the intention of marrying him, of wanting to marry him. 
By the way, just because he knows interpreted rightly, does that mean she would, he would say yes? Just because she goes out there and he knows, okay, I know you're not a prostitute. I know you're not doing anything weird. I know you're not asking me to do things right now with you. And you, I know you want to marry me. But does that mean he has, he has to say yes? No, he could say no. He could be like, whoa, you're too direct. And by the way, think about the situation. Think about the situation. Even if he interpreted this rightly, that does not necessarily mean the outcome will be according to Naomi's favor. Think about the situation here, okay? It is unusual for a woman to propose to a man. It was unusual for a woman to propose to a man. So he could have been like, oh, whoa, why are you so direct? This is really strange, right? It is also unusual for a younger woman to propose to someone that's older, okay? Not to mention, this is a field worker that's interpreting to what? A master of the field. And on top of that, this is a foreigner going to what? Someone who is what? A native, okay? And someone who is a widow, okay? You might say, okay, I could be with someone else that has never been married. You see all these situations? Do you think it's very likely that uh, Naomi's plan was really that wise? What do you guys think? In light of all the possible outcome, I would say this decks are stacked against who? Naomi and Ruth, okay? This is the risk that was taken, okay? This was the risk that was taken. Do you see this? There is a risk. By the way, this is true even in godly courtship where everything is, is uh, done uh, according to the most biblical way possible. Is there still a possibility of risk? Yeah. Is there a possibility that still, hey, this is not the one that the Lord has called me to? Yes. But in light of all this, we could maximize risk or we can minimize. We try as godly as possible to minimize the risk. But at the same time, there's a possibility the risk of being hurt is very real. What would, would happen if it turns out that it is not meant to be that a man is to spread his wings over that of a woman in marriage? I think in those contexts, we go back to the foundation of Ruth 2. We go to God, trusting that God's wings is what comforts us. In the midst of a pain, in the midst of the risk being taken, and then the risk when outcomes did not turn out the way we interpret it. We go to God to be comforted. Let us now go to point number three. We must interpret the other person graciously. Okay? Remember everything that I said. The possible wrong interpretation that Boaz could have had interpreting of Ruth. Okay? And also remember everything that I said earlier. That even when he properly interprets this, everything is still stacked against her. But you know what is incredible in reading this story here? What is incredible to me in this story is the fact that verses 10 to 11, I mean, this is drama, setting this up. If you're reading this properly, you'll be like, this is, this is what? This is like the Korean drama of all Korean dramas, okay? This is like, whoa, this is the drama is like, whoa, right? What's going to happen? And yet, you know what? I love how verses 10 to 11 and setting the, the climax, it changes. Because now everything hinges on Boaz's response. And you see here, okay? You, that he interpret the other person graciously, which is our third point. Interpret the other person graciously. Verse 10, 11 says this, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your loving kindness to be better than the first by not, letting, by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughters, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you're a woman of excellence. Boaz's response is incredible. Because of all the possibility, he could have interpreted her as a demand for sex or her um, being 
soliciting things or whatever other things, or this is her occupation. Of all these things, he could have interpreted I don't think he interpreted this. And by the way, we're not at fault to think when we read earlier. I think it was set up, the narrator wants us to see like, whoa, Naomi's plan is really, really shady. But in light of all this, yet she does not does anything ungodly in the sense of actually sinning in this area. Nor does Boaz do that also as well, even though the situation looks very, very what? Compromise. In fact, he doesn't just do this. Notice he goes proactive. He didn't just say, oh, okay, I see you, you desire to marry. Do you see? In verses 10, he actually blesses her. In fact, in verses 10 to 11, you see there's three parts of the speech. He begins of the first thing, the first word, because if you're reading this, right, you'll be like, whoa, what's going to go up? The drama's been set so high, right? Mm -hmm. This is the Korean drama of all Korean drama, right? Mm -hmm. The drama that's set up by her her mama, right? Mother-in-law, at least, right? Here we see it's setting up. The first thing Boaz does is what? Blesses her. Verses 10. He says this, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. Okay? The first thing he does is bless her. And he tells her the reason why he's going to bless her. He tells her the reason why is because you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after younger men, whether rich or poor. Okay? So he shows, says, you know what? He recognized her loving kindness. Earlier in chapter 2, he says that word loving kindness is a rich word that appears again and again here. Most of scriptures reference to loving kindness, the Hebrew word is kesed, is actually reference to God. Okay, God's loving kindness towards us. And in looking at this, he says, earlier in chapter 2, says, you have loving kindness. I know you're a loving and kind person. How do I know this? You care for this mother-in-law, even though she's a different ethnicity, even though you have no obligation, even though it's to your hurt. I know you are. That's why I'm blessing you. Now he recognized this also as well. Whereas he, the first loving kindness, you see this when he says the first is with her loving kindness towards the mother-in-law by coming to Israel. I think when he says here, your second loving kindness, your last one, your most recent one, he's saying, I know your intention is actually to take care of yourself, but not only yourself, but to take care of your what? Mother-in-law. With stability of marriage, the blessing that will come with having a child and also what? Of having a progeny and her being stability of financially being provided for. He recognized that her intention is really deeper than just for her own self being married, but it's to take care of who? Her mother-in-law. After all, it's not marriage. It's her primary motivation. Because if she, that was her primary motivation, she shouldn't, wouldn't even be in Israel in the first place. She would still be in her land of Edom. Okay? So she, he recognized this. And he recognized it for what it is. And therefore, that is why he says, I'm going to bless you. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. He goes on also as well, not only with that part of blessing, but in you see when he goes on, he also makes a promise in verses 11, right? Uh, he makes a promise, and we'll talk about this even more next week. And when he says, I will do whatever you ask. Remember how awkward the situation was earlier? He was a servant, a field worker, right? A foreigner asking, hey, to owner of the field, marry me. When he could have had any woman he wanted, okay? If he was to be, I don't know, what's those dating apps called? Coffees and bagels, is it? What is it? Help me out, Benchon. What is it called? Coffee and bagels? Coffee beans. Huh? Coffee and meats bagels, okay? Or what is the other one? E-Harmony or whatever, all the other things. Of all those things, if he was the one, you know how they are, at least what I read is before, you know, when you see someone's income, I've never used those sites, but if you see someone's, I don't know why I call you out, I'm sorry, Ben. Uh, <laughs> but but no, no matter what, you know, that was very awkward real quick. Okay. 
but no matter what, you know how people are saying, when you ever see those income, they say 100,000, you subtract 30,000, right? Because people are, but if, you, if Boaz was there, if he says, I own these fields, he was legit, he could have had anybody, you know, send, uh, I don't know what they send, if they send friends or whatever, friend zone or whatever else it is, right? You could have been anyone. But why, with all this, she was so direct. But you see how gracious he was? He was gracious. She's, she's telling him what to do. She gave a verbal command and said, you, put your cloak over me. And it's so awkward. And yet, how gracious was he? He says what? Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Do you see that? He could have been said, hey, hey who am I the servant of, right? Who am I the servant of? This guy reminds me when I was in Iraq. Uh, my officer, sometimes he'll go to a different part, who's my comm officer. And we, for radio operators, sometimes we get attached to different line companies. Whenever my comm officer comes over, all the other Marines will say, hey, we see your commo, your comm officer. So then he says, hey, they're looking for you. So then I go over, run over to the officer, sir, are you looking for me? And he always looks at me and says, son, if I look for you, would I be looking for you? I'll call you and you come to me. I said, oh, I'm sorry, okay. But then everyone else, er so it happens every time because all the other Marines will say, hey, here's your comm officer, he's looking for you. And I run over, sir, uh, are you looking for me? And he always says, son, how many times do I have to tell you? If I need you, I call you, you come to me, I don't come to you. I'm looking for the other officer. I said, oh, okay, sorry, right? Think about this situation. Here she is. He could have been the same and said, who are you, right? You know, and show the palm of his hand with all that, right? But yet he doesn't do that. He says, he's going to play the role of a servant. But it flows from him interpreting her properly. He says, I will do for you whatever you ask. But by the way, he doesn't stop this. Why did he properly interpret her? The situation is pretty shady, right? I don't know about you. If I woke up in the middle of the night, someone's right there dressing nice perfume, I'll be running, Okay. I'll be running like, okay, this is really shady, right? This is, this is really, really shady, okay? So here is a situation that's so shady. And by, why did he interpret her properly? It's because what? Of his previous knowledge of her. Notice in verses 11, he says, do not fear. By the way, think about how sensitive that is. She probably is shaking up. This is a really awkward situation, Okay trying to dress her best to go on this thing where people could be misunderstood and her love for mother-in-law and all the balance. I don't think she's dumb. I think she's a thinking woman. She's like, this is really crazy. And probably she's shaking. I'm reading between the lines. But she say, he says, do not fear. And then he says, what else? He's giving her reason. Why is he doing all these things? He's going to uh, do everything he asks. She asks. She's gonna, she's, it says, bless you. Why does she do all this good things? Because why? And why did he properly interpret it? Even though the situation is really, really shady, it's because in verse 11, second half says, For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Some of your Bible would have footnotes there. Literally in the Hebrew, it's actually not all my people know that you're a woman of excellence. Literally in the Hebrew, you know what it is? It says all the city gates know. What it's trying to say this is because back then, the important officials, important meetings often take place where? In the city gate. So the version of back then of city hall is actually... Not a, a building. It's actually at the city gates, okay? It's actually in the city gates uh, over there, okay? So in, in light of all this, uh, so in, in light of all this, the, at the city gate is where the fish... By the way, later on when he finally goes to try to get married, what does he do? He gathered all the important village elders or city elders, which he was one of them, very likely, to meet at the, over there. That's where important things happen. He, in other words, what he's trying to say is this. This is not, I know gossips about you that is good. What he knows here is saying, this is the official's evaluation of others in the city taking care of it. Taking this, in other words, the mayor, the city councilman, knows your good reputation. And do you see that word there? It says, woman of excellence. You know where that word, woman of excellence, appears? Is in Proverbs 31. By the way, in the Hebrew Bible, the roof, you know what's the next book after roof? 
is actually, the Hebrew Bible order is different, uh, is actually next to Proverbs. Ooh. Proverbs 31, this last chapter, yes? Do you remember the woman of excellence? That's the same Hebrew word. That word, woman of excellence, that's in Proverbs 31, never in anywhere in the Old Testament does it ever describe anyone call that, that phrase, okay? Now, it's used uh, in Proverbs 12, I think. It talks about like a, a, a godly woman's like a crown, but it's just indefinite, it's just like in general, whoever it is. So nowhere in the Old Testament does it ever call a woman, a specific reference of a woman, say, you are that Proverbs 31 woman, you are that virtuous woman, except for what? One person, one woman. Who is that? Ruth. Ruth, who's not even Jewish. And she's called a woman of excellence. That same word for excellence, the masculine form of the adjective, is used to describe early in Ruth too, to say Boaz was a man of excellence. Do you see what Boaz has done? Though she's social economically lower, though in the more racial view of some of the Jews of their day, would say, oh, she's lower class because she's of another thing. She says, he calls her, you're a woman of excellence. We know your character. But do you see how beautiful this is? She's low. But the way she was, had a good reputation of godliness is not because she decided to hang around with people of high status. By the way, today, isn't it true? People, when you want to climb the social ladder, you go and hang out with what? Powerful people. I heard today uh, that Kanye West started a church, right? Oh, yeah. Did you guys hear this? I can imagine the moves and shakers Brad Pitt goes over there. And if you want to be rubbed shoulders with someone famous, oh, like, oh, I want to be an actor, you probably go to that church and say, I want to rub shoulders with Brad Pitt. Right? I want to go see Kanye, okay? And hang out with, I don't know, his baby Northwest or whatever else, right? Whatever else it is, you have over there, right? But do you see how he's climbed the social status? Do you see how her social status was climbed? Was not affiliating with all these influencers, right? He's not, she's not going and says, I'm going to be friends with everyone that has a Twitter that has a blue check mark. What she does is say, I'm going to affiliate with those that slowly. I'm going to affiliate with a mother-in-law that's old. And therefore, yet in a few weeks, she's gone from someone that's begging for food to a status that... Her town knows her. Yeah, she's here because she's a godly woman. She's a godly woman. Notice how he interprets her in the most gracious manner. He's interpreting her in the most gracious manner. And if there's an application for us as well, even relationship. By the way, we are very cynical, sinfully, right? We, by the way, if you read Ruth, is what? Judges, then Ruth. If you read Judges, I don't know about you, I get very cynical by the time I finish Judges. The last time I read through it very slowly, it was like probably three months. By that point, it's like, man, all leaders are ungodly, right? You know, it's like, oh, John Montgomery did it. Yeah, he probably did the wrong motive or whatever else, right? Okay, because why? You see how shady it is. But yet in this beautiful story, in the midst of all these cynicism, all these bad judges, all these bad spiritual leaders, all these people, you see what? The example of faith that shines so brightly in the day of judges was not a Jewish woman, but was a Gentile, a woman who was lowly. And he interpreted her, and he saw things not through the eyes of man, not through the eyes of Twitter, not, otherwise he would just only see Kanye and whatever. But he saw what he see. He saw a woman of faith. A woman of faith who had a radical faith, and he decided to make the willful decision to interpret the other person graciously. And ending this story here, we need to go to the cross. We know people are sinful. We need to acknowledge our sin. But the only way we could be gracious is because of the grace of God towards us. And God's gracious grace is what? He sent a Redeemer. What's His name? Jesus Christ. Who came, redeemed us. By the way, He redeemed us. Scripture in Ephesians 5 and Roman, uh, uh, Revelation talks about that we, there will be a marriage of the Messiah with His people called the church. 
and also Israel. But what was the dowry that he laid down to pay for us, to be purchased to be his bride? What did it cost him? His life and his blood. His life and his blood to redeem us. Have you trusted in that Redeemer? Let us close in a word of prayer.